James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today very much mindful that you are a God of grace, and you have been so gracious to us in sending your Son, in giving your Son, who would die for sinners upon the cross, for sinners such as us who would rise again from the grave and who will return one day to bring his people home. We thank you for the grace of your Holy Spirit who indwells us and binds us to Christ and illuminates your word to our minds, even as we come to hear your word now. We pray that you'll pour out your spirit upon us, fill us with the spirit, even the spirit of wisdom today. Oh, we need wisdom and we pray for your mercy upon us today in this place. We pray for your mercy upon uh, the city of Calgary as the wisdom of God in the cross of Christ is preached at various churches. Pray that you would humble many and bring them to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, their only hope in life and death. And we pray that this echo of the gospel would resound across this nation. And we do pray for great fruit from uh, the work even of the Gospel Coalition, even as Pastor Clint has been there as, and sits on the council of, of that wider work uh, and that network of gospel preaching churches that you would encourage brothers and sisters across this land and provide a unity in Christ together. We pray for our governors, federally, provincially, those who are in authority over us, that we would have a, a submissive spirit towards your authority structures, knowing you put them in place and you bring them down. But we also ask that you would grant them wisdom to govern righteously and even that saving wisdom of knowing Christ as Lord and, and Savior. And pray for the many people in here this morning who are seeking wisdom from above to navigate the various trials of their lives. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, apply your word to all who hear that we might not just be hearers but doers of your word and able to even find joy in the midst of our trials and sufferings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. The Greek philosopher Plato said, the three wishes of every man are to be healthy, to be rich by honest means, and to be beautiful. In the animated Disney version of Aladdin, Aladdin has three wishes granted to him by the genie. And the three wishes were, number one, to make him a prince, number two, to save him from drowning, 
And number three, for the genie to be free. And Wikipedia, that source of great knowledge to be relied upon, says the most common things people wish for are wealth, success, self-improvement, love, health, happiness, and friends. Now, imagine God appears to you in a dream and says to you, ask what I shall give you. What would you ask for? What would be the, the first thing you'd ask for? Health, better marriage, a spouse perhaps, a job, a bit more money, a bit more hair. What's the first thing that would come into your mind? Well, this is what happened to King Solomon. And you can read of it in 1 Kings 3. God appears to him and poses this question. Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon asks for an understanding mind that he might discern between good and evil. Now this delighted the Lord because Solomon didn't ask for long life or riches or protection from enemies or even revenge on his enemies. So the Lord answers, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. And he was given what we know as the wisdom of Solomon. Wisdom was Solomon's priority. And our text today begins with this. It's a priority for James as he instructs these house churches, dispersed, suffering various kinds of trials, how to live the Christian life. And he says in verse 5 there, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. So James is prioritizing asking God for wisdom. Now this verse is often taken in isolation as a universal principle. Uh, and yes, it, it, it's true. But if you need wisdom for anything, you need to ask for it. A job, a relationship, uh, a big purchase, a house move, parenting. We need much wisdom for parenting. We've been doing our parenting course over the last few weeks and we need a lot of wisdom. But the context for verse 5 is verses 2 to 4 and last week's sermon. So the context is actually suffering and trials. In verses 2 to 4, James has urged his readers and thereby us as well to recognize that trials are actually a privilege which God the Father ordains in the lives of his children to test the genuineness of their faith and to bring about a, a faith-filled perseverance which has a full effect of Christ-like maturity. And it's only with that perspective that, that you can then count it all joy or an experience joy in the trial. It's counterintuitive, it's countercultural because the world and your flesh tells you if you want joy, do all that you can to avoid trials. But the Word of God says differently because it looks at the ultimate purpose of God. And the ultimate purpose of God is to work in all things, including your trials, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And the goal is that we might become mature and complete, not lacking anything, 
that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus himself. So that suffering is a growth point for the Christian. Suffering is a growth point. And we get so focused on the process, that is the trial itself, that we fail to see the purpose. God is concerned with the finished product. Many of us are quite good beginners, but we're not good finishers. God will put uh, into your life uh, trials and tests uh, to put your faith to a test and produce that all-the-way faith that you need, all-the-way faith to the end to bring you to maturity. However, if you are responding without joy, if you're getting bitter or angry in your trials, or if you don't know simply how to act during your trials, then you better ask God for wisdom, because it's wisdom you need in order to navigate the various trials and to bear afflictions in your life. That's the context of verse 5, and it's important we keep that in mind. So it's not this general command. It's specific here to finding joy in trials. Finding joy in trials makes no sense unless you have wisdom. So I simply want to frame this sermon with three questions. Why ask for wisdom? Whom do we ask for wisdom? And how do we ask for wisdom? Very simple. So why ask for wisdom? He begins, any, if any of you lacks wisdom, I think this is really well put by James. He's politely saying, you all need it. I mean, if I was to ask you all now, hands up if any of you uh, lacks wisdom. Who's going to keep their hands down? Oh, not me. Don't need any wisdom, me. It's interesting. Verse 4 ends with that end product of maturity. Lacking nothing. And verse 5 begins, if any of you lacks. Lacking nothing, if any of you lacks. So, to get you to the maturity of lacking nothing, you need something that you lack, and that is wisdom. Now, it doesn't mean that James thinks everyone is a fool and no one has wisdom. There's differing measures of wisdom in a church. Some are wiser than others, and wisdom marks their lives in such a way that you say, he or she is a wise person. Nevertheless, Everyone, even the wise, need wisdom when it comes to bearing afflictions. And everyone suffers afflictions and trials, including the wise. The trials are daily, so we all need to ask for wisdom daily. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, it's important to distinguish this, that knowledge and wisdom are not the same. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same. You can know that you should count it all joy in trials because they're tests of faith that produce maturity. You can know this notionally, but how you act in taking that knowledge and putting it into practice, that is what will produce the joy. The way of wisdom is, is the way to finding joy in the midst of suffering. And there's often a gap with Christians between hearing and doing. A difficulty in moving, as I said last week, from the notion to the motion. And wisdom is the fuel that makes this happen. The fuel of the motion. Now this doesn't mean that you ought not to know 
God's word and have knowledge of God's word. Absolutely. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You need to be soaked in the word of God. You need to read the word of God and trust the word of God. But wisdom, if you like, is the behavior that emerges from the belief, as some have said. The behavior that emerges from the belief. Like the story of the wise and the foolish builders in the Sermon on the Mount. The wise man, you remember it. Some of the children in here, you'll remember it. You sing the songs about it. What does the wise man do? He builds his house upon a rock. And what happens is the storm comes along and the house stands firm. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand and it collapses. Who is the wise man? The wise man... Jesus says, is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. The foolish man is not the person who doesn't hear the words of Jesus because the foolish man also hears the words of Jesus. The problem is he fails to act with wisdom. He fails to put them into practice. So wisdom is the word of God turned into action. Wisdom is the word of God turned into action. In all the circumstances of life, in all the different circumstances you come across, the different uh, relationships and so on, and in particular, the trials of life. And the attainment of wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord that issues forth in humility. Solomon revered God and trusted him, and he says in 1 Kings 3, this is how he, 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 he speaks to God, I am but a child. The task of kingship, kingship is too big for me. I lack wisdom. He's not acting like the big, bold king, you know. I'm a child. Before you, Lord, I need, this is too big a task. I need your help. The first step in becoming wise is actually really realizing you're not that wise. You could say that that is having a poverty of spirit so that one has a right view of oneself in relationship to God and a need to receive from him to fill your lack. I said this at the men's breakfast yesterday, that proud men are never truly wise men. Proud men are never truly wise men. A proud man may be intelligent, but he is not wise. But Solomon had a humble fear of the Lord, and so he writes in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he says in Proverbs 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Think of the trials in your lives. They are uncomfortable. They're even painful. They're also confusing confusing as to why they've happened perhaps confusing as to how you should respond and so what God does is he brings us to the end of our wisdom that we might become like children and asks for his wisdom and you will never understand the paradox of joy in trials unless you get that which leads then to the second question whom do we ask for wisdom why ask for wisdom? Whom do we ask for wisdom? Well, James tells us. This is really simple. 
Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God is the source of wisdom, so go to him for wisdom. Ask him. Go to God before anyone else, before anyone else. Is that often your first step, to go to the Lord first to ask? Or do you go to your spouse or to a a book or to a friend, to the internet? Big one, that. Google it quick. Or do you go to the Lord? When God appears to Job at the end of of the book of Job, he doesn't tell him, why he suffered, he shows him who he is in all of his wisdom. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Stumped straight away. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And you read that passage, and he talks about his wisdom in creation, in, in creating the stars and the universe and the names and the planets and, the, and then the different animals and the knowledge and wisdom that, that God has. And He reveals his wisdom and power in all of these things, and he reveals Job's foolishness and weakness in comparison. God is the source of wisdom, so ask him. And know this, he is keen to give generously to all his children. Isn't that what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount, that that manifesto for Christian life, it's the character of the Christian laid out in the Beatitudes, the heart of the law revealed, talking about sin as heart deep. Anger in the heart, a seed of murder in the flesh, and so on. And then a radical call to love enemies and and go that extra mile and not to worry about tomorrow. And How do you live that out? Ask, says Jesus. He says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You ask, and that's how you can live it out. God loves to give good gifts. Wisdom is a good gift. The God whom James identifies in verse 17 as, giving, as providing every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change. He doesn't change like shifting sh- uh, shadows. He's not one way on Sunday, the another next day he's, he's different on Monday. He's abiding. He's faithful. And says James... You need to ask if you're going to receive. Some of you in here, you don't receive wisdom because you don't ask. You literally don't ask. Wisdom isn't a priority in your asking. Come to an elders meeting. I think that's what we pray for most. (laughs) Lord, give us wisdom. If a man wants the divine wisdom... He's got to get down on his knees and ask. Look, it says there, God gives. God gives. Ask God who gives. He's a giver. He's a giver. It's the nature of God. It's mentioned twice in verse 5, you know. There's an emphasis there on his giving. The most famous verse in the Bible. We sang it 
part of it in, in one of the songs there. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John 3.16. He gives because of what he is. He's a giver. He's a giving God. He's given us his son. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things that we need for the Christian life? including wisdom to navigate trials. He's given us the greatest gift in the universe. That's why he gives you mercies every morning. New ones. New ones are coming. They're coming tomorrow because he's giving. And the more you know God's word in asking for wisdom, the more he brings it into your mind during the day and gives you the way to then act in your various difficulties and hardships. God gives, and he also gives generously, it says. He gives more than we can ask. God gave Solomon what he asked for and more. He gave him riches and honor and long life. The prodigal son returns to his father and says, make me a servant, and the father gives him a robe and a ring and a feast, all the marks of sonship, way more than he asked. God's a generous giver. Do you believe that? So Paul tells us to be like that ourselves. In Romans 12, verse 8, he who gives, let him give generously, like God. This word for generously, uh, the, the root of it, actually, uh, has a meaning of single. Single. Single eye. Not double vision, clearly focused. God is absolutely undivided and unwavering and focused with a single eye in his commitment to give wisdom to any of his children who ask. Please give me, you say. Yes, he answers, I give you. Single eye, generously. If, it, it's like you've got a, a, a personal counseling session with the wonderful counselor. You might have a benefits package with your work, but the Christian's got a benefits package that beats them all. And he gives generously, it says, to all. No partiality or favoritism with God and his children. What a thing that is, friends. You might have been a foolish Christian in the past. You might be a trembling Christian in the present. You may be an old Christian or a new Christian to all says James. All God's children are qualified to receive. That's a great thing to know. And God gives generously to all, he says, without reproach, without finding fault. We're quite clever, I think, in finding reasons not to give generously, to be miserly, like we'll go and you know, have a little mental debate whether to give or not to give. We don't want anyone to get one over on us. You know, we want to justify our meanness sometimes. Well, I gave last time. I paid last time. We were the ones that were hospitable last time. It's their turn now. Not with God. He doesn't begrudge his giving. You know, it's, it's like when um, someone says uh, thank you to you, what do you answer? My pleasure. But it really is God's pleasure. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So God 
doesn't scold his children for asking or for repeatedly asking. You know how it is for some earthly fathers. You get tired. You can be a bit impatient with your children when they keep asking for things. Oh, just go away. Not so your heavenly father. He doesn't say, look, I'm running a universe here. Don't bother me with your piddly needs. Anyway, look what you did with that last bit of wisdom I gave you. Rubbish. Plus, you weren't thankful enough last time. Go away and do better. He gives generously without reproach. And if you ask him, there's a promise here. It will be given. It will be given. Which leads to my last point. How do we ask for wisdom? That's the last thing, is how do we ask? If, if we ask God for wisdom to live well during sufferings and trials, and if the promise is that he will give it, the how becomes important. How do we ask for wisdom? Well, it's there in the text. Let's read it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What James says here is that we need to believe and not doubt. If you're going to come and ask, believe and don't doubt. To believe is an expression of trust. It is an expression of devotion, not just an intellectual assent. It is a confidence that God hears and is willing and able to answer. It's like the belief of the friends. Remember the friends of the paralyzed man? Who, who lower him down through the roof to see Jesus, absolutely confident. Jesus is able, and he will help. Faith. Or the centurion who wants Jesus to heal his servant in Matthew 8. Just say the word. You don't have to go. Just say the word, Jesus. I know he'll be healed. He asks him faith. These people, they look at Jesus. They hear Jesus speak. They see his actions and they think he's great. That oh, is marvelous. Look at him. Isn't he a beautiful person? Look at his compassion. Look at his power. He will. He wants to help me. It creates a trust in them. Is that how you think of Jesus? To doubt, on the other hand, is to refuse to entrust ourselves to him. I quoted J.B. Phillips last week. I'll do it again. He must ask in sincere faith without secret doubts as to whether he really wants God's help or not. That's, that's good. I'll read it again. He must ask in sincere faith without secret doubts as to whether he really wants God's help or not. Like Herod. Jesus comes before Herod, right? Do a miracle for me. He was a doubter. Right? He didn't think Jesus was great. He thinks he's maybe a magician. He didn't believe in him. So Jesus said nothing, did nothing for him. Again, at the men's breakfast yesterday, I said this, guys who were there, you'll remember. You get people who come and ask for counsel, but really, they'll only do what you tell them to do if it matches what they already think. Right? They are wise in their own eyes. They don't really want your advice. 
like the doubter that goes before God. Don't really want God's counsel. Don't really want wisdom because it's gonna ask, he's going to ask him to act in a way that, that goes against this guy's grain. It goes against this guy's wisdom in his own eyes. But God knows what you need before you ask. He also knows the sincerity of that asking. Do you really want wisdom, as you go to God to ask, do you really want wisdom to walk in God's way through your trial? You have to ask yourself that. Do you really want wisdom from above to walk in His way through your trial? Or do you reserve the right to be in control and do things your way? Or do you reserve that right to just be a little bit unforgiving in that difficult relationship that you're navigating? I just want to hold that bit of anger back there. So follow the logic then. You get wisdom through asking in faith. So the way to be hindered in getting wisdom is doubt. That's the logic, right? James says, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, I thought he just said he gives to all who ask. Well, apparently, if you don't ask in the right way, you will not receive. Now, I want to make this clear because you can hear that and hear about doubting and you think, well, I doubt. I have doubts, right? Well, any person doubts at times, even if it's for a moment or two. And some people have doubts, a lot of people have doubts that come from a lack of assurance. Many Christians have this. All of us are assaulted by doubts sometimes. And, and, and Satan will latch on to that because Satan will define to you, faith is never failing. That's his definition. It's never failing. And you didn't have full assurance today. So don't go and ask. See how the devil works and schemes that way. So, as one uh, pastor has put it, Satan defines a Christian like a superman, right? But, but, but he puts it this way, the, the, this pastor, faith is life, assurance is vigor. Faith is life, assurance is vigor. Faith means you live, even if you're feeling weak. You're the weakest Christian in here. You're feeling really down, feeling low, just hanging in. It's weak, but you're alive. You're alive, you're saved. Assurance is a sense of greater health. A sense of greater health, that vigor. So James is not saying a full assurance of faith is necessary before you ask. We can be like the man in, in the Gospel of Mark. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but I long for doubts to be removed and move towards full assurance. So, I just want to be clear here. Do not let your lack of assurance prevent you going and asking for wisdom. Don't let your weak faith today prevent you from going and asking for wisdom. Faith is received. It's receiving Christ. That's faith. It's resting simply in his benefits. And Jesus said, didn't he, to his beloved disciples many times, oh, you have little faith. Why are you doubting? 
but they had faith. They were alive. Faith is the root. Assurance is the flower. And you can have faith without that full assurance. So when James speaks of not doubting, he's not talking about having full assurance and never ever having weak faith. No, the doubter, the doubter here is the man in two minds. He's described as double-minded, it says in verse 8. That word actually means double-souled. Double-souled. Soul, as in the soul. He has split loyalties. He's basically a hypocrite. He doubts who God is. He doesn't really want wisdom from God. So he remains in this restless chaos. And he's like, as he says there, a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That's, that's Old Testament language. The, the seas representing chaos. In the midst of trials, if you are double-souled, you have split loyalties. You will be restless and tossed about. and You will sink. You will unstable in all his ways. That's how he's described. One way this day and one way the next day. Unless your double soul becomes one and you gain a single eye or a single mind for God. Sinclair Ferguson makes the point that the old men used to talk about eyeing God. A phrase, eyeing God. They meant seeing him clearly with a single eye as the God of unchanging love and grace who is keen to give generously to all without judgment. It's the double-souled man, Ferguson says, who says, in the good times, God loves me. But in the times of trials, he loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And so he's tossed around and he's unstable in all his ways. And that's why James says in chapter 3, verse 17, that wisdom from above is first pure. You see that in verse 17 of chapter 3. There's a list of what wisdom from above looks like. It is first pure. I like to kind of go back to that regularly in my own devotional life and see what this wisdom from above looks like. It's first pure. He doesn't just mean sexually pure. Though it's not less than that, he means single-eyed, single-eyed loyalty with a cleanness of heart and life, an integrity, no hypocrisy. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, have a single eye for God. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so, just unpacked really with three questions there, there's great hope, friends. Because the trials of the Christian life are real and the pain is real and life is hard and we mess up. But in, if in the midst of a, a trial we, we come to God in sincere childlike faith, repentant of all known sin and a true desire to, to walk in His ways through the current situation, He won't say, oh, here He comes again. He's been such a fool in the past. I'm not going to waste my wisdom on him now. No, he's going to say, my child, I've loved you from before the foundations of the earth. I've loved you in my son. I'm not going to stop loving you now. 
In fact, I'm working all of your trials to make you like him. So here's wisdom. Here's a bit of wisdom for you to walk wisely through those trials with joy. Jesus announces in Matthew chapter 12 that one greater than Solomon is here. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 that Jesus is wisdom from God to us. So you go from the Proverbs of Solomon to the proverbial man, Jesus Christ, so that Jesus embodies all that a human being should be. He is wisdom worked out in all the trials of life. Just read the Gospels and see the life of Jesus. Good, good practice and in your daily readings, the portion of the Gospels, you see Jesus' wisdom worked out in all the trials of life, from a boy to a man, desiring God above all, being taught and learning his word, knowing his identity and purpose, being obedient to his parents, growing in wisdom and navigating relationships well, doing all things well, resisting temptation and always doing the work of God. And the supreme illustration of Jesus' wisdom was in the trial of the cross. Through his death on the cross, the wisdom of God is most perfectly shown. It's where he pardons sinners and condemns their sin at the same time. It's where Jesus says, let their condemnation fall on me and my obedience fall to them. And Jesus says to everyone here today, every one of you, young and old, when you come to me, in repentance and faith. And when you ask, I will teach you to grow in wisdom and in favor with God and man. So friends, the great news is that we can rest in his sovereign grace and we can ask for wisdom in all of our trials. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for your word this morning. Your word that is so clear um, and simple at times. Um, and yet, we can be hearers and not doers of it. And so I do pray this morning that you would humble us, create in us the, the fear of the Lord, and that we would ask for wisdom, knowing the kind of God that you are, and that we would walk wisely in all the various trials of our lives, knowing the great purpose which you've ordained in them, and that we would be a people a suffering people marked by joy and that the world would look and say, how is that so? And we can point them to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.